0: In the book of Mark, chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 40 through 45, Then we'll ask the Lord to bless the proclamation of of His Word. Mark 1, uh, verse 40, And a leper came to him, beseeching him, and falling on his knees before him, and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And moved with compassion, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news about to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas and they were coming to him from everywhere. Let us pray. Our Father, I pray that we might be as those men who came to Andrew one day and said, we would see Jesus. That Father, that we, you, would, you, you would be gracious to, to show us our Lord, to show us his compassion, show us his, his love, his mercy, his power. And Father, that uh, truly uh, we would believe what we have just sung, that I will trust in you. I will trust in you alone. We ask that you would do these things, that you would proclaim these things to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Last week we looked at this passage with an eye to Jesus and his will. The supreme will of Christ who said, and it's again I believe it's the only time we see in the scriptures that Jesus uses that one word, I will. That his is the supreme will, that he has the authority to save, the authority to heal, the authority to cleanse. But we want to look at this passage again because we need to see Jesus touch, Christ touch. The leper just suddenly appears. In Mark's version of this scene, a leper came to him, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him, saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He seems to come with great humility. We've seen his belief in Christ's power. He's evidently heard of Jesus healing those throughout Galilee, particularly in Capernaum, the great... Multitude of the city that came to him for healing. He seems to uh, fall on his knees and beseech Christ, submitting himself totally, fully to Jesus' will. But he also transgresses the law of Moses as he does this. We don't hear him saying what he was supposed to say, unclean, unclean. He was supposed to warn people that he was about he was not supposed to approach a living person. He, we talked about the, the fact that he would have come wearing a, a rag over his face, covering his, his lower face and all of his beard, his hair disheveled. He would be wearing rags probably because he was an outcast. He was living outside the camp as Moses wrote it that he was not allowed to have interaction with other people. In fact, the Old Testament says that he was not to have interaction with any other living being. And he comes suddenly to Jesus in his presence. And do we dare ask the question, what would Jesus do? There were barriers to this man coming to Christ. There was his own disease. And again, we mentioned some of those effects of leprosy. We don't know the extent of of this man's leprosy, but I, uh, I think that we would have to agree that it would have been obvious that he was a leper. He would have had those white spots that gave him away. He would have had the scabs that were falling off. He would have had the bleeding. He would have had the deformed, deformity of face and the gnarled fingers and, the, and the, the, the toes that curled inward and made it very difficult for him to walk. Perhaps showing the scars of that disease that left the extremities without nerve endings, not being able to feel pain, showing the fact that that he had burned himself without even knowing that he had burned himself, showing that he was walking on stumps of feet but he could not feel that pain. He was afflicted, he was an outcast, he was separate from his people, he was desperate, he was helpless, he was hopeless and alone. But besides those barriers, he had the legal barrier being permit, prohibited from society and fellowship with his own people. But adding to that barrier was the fact that, and again, we mentioned this of the rabbis, but probably just of the common folk, the repugnancy that he felt that people turned away in fear, turned away in agony of just seeing him in this condition and then he comes boldly but with submission to Jesus Christ casts himself before the only one he believed could destroy those barriers and healing and Mark gives us the description of Jesus action and moved with compassion he stretched out his hand and touched him where others reacted with rejection or fear of contracting this disease jesus was moved with compassion the word that's used here is one of the three words in the new testament that that mean compassion and it's according to what I can understand, the strongest of these words. If I were to try to transliterate it, and I will give it a try, it would sound something like this, splonks the nace. It's this guttural, visceral type of reaction that Jesus had. Now, when we read the Old Testament, particularly in some of the translations I happen to read from the New American Standard, but some of the other translations will we'll use phrases that, are, that seem kind of gross to us, do they not? Bowels of mercy. And we go, well, you know, we don't want to read that kind of thing. But in, what it means is that it, it's the inner organs, the heart, the lungs, the liver, those kinds of things. And in almost every language, that that i understood and have read about it, they all have a word or words that, for that kind of gut reaction if i could say it that way the, the feeling inside and, and you think you know in western society that sounds gross but we use those words do we not when we see someone in trouble or we see someone that uh, particularly one of our children and we we see them, you know, stumble and fall or, you know, they didn't win the award, we we say, you know, my heart sank. Right? And 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 when we see something that or smell something that is very disgusting, do we not say it turned my stomach? You know we, we, we think about those kinds of things we, when we see something awesome, see something that that is especially beautiful or something that we go we cannot believe, we say it took our breath away. We have words and expressions that for that visceral gut reaction and what we see in this word is there's it can mean love, it can mean pity, but it can also mean anger and and we don't like to think of Jesus as angry. And I may have said it last week, but I was thinking about that this week. We, we sometimes, as Western Christians, we, we want to think of Jesus lowly, meek and mild, and we forget that he was a real man, that he had those kinds of reactions. And I don't know if there's anger here. Perhaps, as some trans, uh, commentators will say, he's angry with the leper for barging in when he's preaching or teaching. I I don't see that in Jesus here, but perhaps he's angry at the manifestation that he sees because we know from the Old Testament that this leprosy was used as a symbolism, a symbol of sin and corruption and defilement. And perhaps that was his anger, but there is these two sides of this word, this compassion, this motion of compassion in Jesus, there's pain and pity and sympathy that gives that that reaction, that at the sight of the suffering, Jesus reacted. But it doesn't stay there. It goes on further because it also means that it has a strong desire to remove or relieve that suffering. And see, Jesus is not like most of us. We see, we may have pity. Our stomachs may turn. We may be repulsed by what we see. But do we turn to that person, to that situation with a strong desire? I want to help. I want to relieve. I want to remove these things. Lenski, one of the commentators, says, Whenever and wherever suffering met his eyes, Jesus' eyes, He was moved to help. He reacted, and yet he moved to help. He stretched out his hand. When other rabbis, when those around them were, we know from what we said last week, some of them would actually pick up stones in the road to throw at the leper to say, you're not supposed to be close to me. Don't come any further. And yet, what does Jesus do? He moves toward him, not away. He's not repulsed. No one, no one causes Jesus to shrink back. So instead of recoiling in fear or resentment or hatred or rejection, he reached out. We rightly think of Jesus' ministry as about teaching and instruction, He has come to show us, John tells us, to the grace of God, to to reveal God Almighty to us. But we forget, I think, sometimes that that teaching was sometimes drawn from him by a single human interaction. Jesus preached, yes, he came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. But there are times when he preached simply by extending his hand reaching out to touch those in need those who are defiled we rightly think of jesus ministry as instruction and we see and are instructed by it but as one another commentator said we wrongly think of jesus as posing before men with the intent of giving the great revelation of the love of god yes he did Point out his God. Yes, he did call him my father. And yet, what do we see here? We see Jesus Christ, the God-man, the man-God, reaching out spontaneously, fearlessly, selflessly, sensitively focused on this man. He was not restrained in his love. This is the Jesus that we see in this passage. Not that he doesn't show us the love of God. But we see it in Christ Jesus. The very living proof of it and manifestation of it. And he touched him. This outcast, this man who perhaps for years had had no human contact of any kind. Jesus touched him. And his only regard was not for himself, but for the man, for the suffering that he saw. His heart was full of human sympathy. And isn't true pity doing that? True pity leads us to reach out to someone we see in distress. True pity overcomes our disgust, perhaps our repulsion or repugnance at the sight or the smell or the action of another person. But Jesus had no regard for himself. He gave of himself by reaching out and touching this man. Yes, He came to reveal God to us, but here we have Jesus, the man. Responding because he felt and he knew that the pressure of his hand on that man would reach not only to his physical body, but would reach straight to that man's heart. Because that's the medium of Christ's work. Especially as revealed in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus reveals our Mark reveals Jesus' touch as no other gospel writer does. We see his touch in many different situations. We've already seen it in Mark chapter 1. Peter's mother-in-law. He goes to her bedside. She was burning with fever and again with no regard for his own safety or his own person, he reaches out and gently takes her hand and raises her up and heals her. He goes to the home of the little 12-year-old girl lying dead. People laughing at him. She's dead. There's nothing else you can do. And he touches that cold marble stone body to all appearances lifeless. And he gives her life by the touch of his hand. He goes home to Nazareth and he can do no miracles, Mark says. He can't do many miracles there because they didn't want him there. They rejected him there. But even then, Mark tells us, he managed to lay his hands on a few that were sick and heal them. It didn't stop Jesus from reaching out and touching others. And then we see him put his fingers in the deaf man's ears, almost as if he is saying, there's an obstruction there, but that is no barrier for my fingers to touch your ears. And he says, be opened, and his ears were opened. And only in Mark, and I didn't know this until I studied, only in Mark do we read about Jesus reaching out and touching the little children. He says, even his own disciples were saying, don't bring those children here. Don't bother the the Lord with those children. And Jesus says, permit it. Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And he took them in his arms, Mark says, and he began blessing them and laying his hands upon them. It's Jesus' touch, Jesus showing that this God-man, the power that he has, and yet the gentleness, yet the care, yet the just the condescension that he would reach out and touch. And here we see him reaching out and touching not only the man's soul or his physical body, but his soul. Reaching out by his word and his power and his touch. And healing him. God's in that business of touching people. I was reading uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 10. Uh, when Samuel the prophet selected Saul as, as king. And they have a little ceremony and they're coming back. And it, and it says, valiant men whose hearts God had touched went with Saul. I don't know who those men were. I don't know how God did that. But he touched their hearts. It, God Touches people. God reaches out to people. In Psalm 107, we read, He sent His word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. He reaches out. He sends forth. He doesn't wait for people to come to Him. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, You're already clean. Essentially, I've touched you by the word that I have spoken to you. I have reached out to you. I have called you to be my own. And it's our joy, it's our privilege that we have the same pity from the same Jesus today. He does reach out and touch us. He does condescend to our weaknesses and he does display his power in our hearts and our souls. These reminders of Jesus' power. I appreciated the commentator. He says, these things that we see in the scriptures, when we do come to the scriptures as those men, we would see Jesus. And we look at him, these instances of him touching, of reaching out, of not caring for himself, but for the suffering, for the weakness. They're like a little ladder for us. They're a ladder for our faith. It's like now we're planting things in the garden, or we should. And and sometimes we, we have those climbing plants, and they're not going to do much because they don't do well going along the ground. So we put a mesh up. We put something that they can grab onto, something that strengthens them and allows them to stand up firm. And it's it's like we envision this ladder this mesh that our faith can grow on that we can blossom that we can bear fruit on and we have them in the church we have the sacraments of the lord's supper and of baptism they are forms of worship they are forms of remembering him of of holding on with our faith that we might be salt we might be light we might bear fruit in this world And so we see the hearts of Jesus' ministry. No one, no fellow man was to touch or approach a leper. Just as the leper was told to warn others that he was coming or was near, no one was to approach the leper of their own volition except for the priest. If a man were cured, Leviticus tells us that he was to go to the priest and he was to present himself before him But the priest could only touch him outside the camp. That there was this seven-day ritual that was to be followed, a ceremony where he was to show that he was cleansed. And we think of this man again, an outcast. Uh, They called them the living dead. That where no one could approach him, no one could touch him, and he could touch no one. Did this man have a wife? Well, we don't know, but if he did, he was not permitted to feel the soft touch of her lips on his. Did he have children? We don't know, but if he did, they were not allowed to come to him, sticking out their little hands and saying, help me, daddy. Hold me. He was not allowed to pick them up and to cuddle them and to hold them. Did he have a mother and father? He was not allowed to visit them. Did he have friends? He was not allowed to have fellowship with them. He was not allowed to laugh with them. He wasn't allowed to converse with them. But Jesus, but Jesus blasted away all these restrictions. He, He tore down these barriers. He Destroyed the wall of separation. He destroyed the stigma of this man being an outcast. But I wonder did Jesus reflect on the Old Testament? Did he reflect on Leviticus chapter 5? Anyone who touched an unclean person was guilty. Whether, and as far as I can read it, if he understood that the man was unclean or not, he was guilty of touching an unclean person except the only person who could touch an unclean was the priest. The priest was allowed to touch a man to examine him to see if he were healed. And I think that we can make a case, a very good case that Jesus The touch that he offered this man was the priest touch. In Hebrews chapter 5, the preacher tells us this. So Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest, but he who said to him, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee, just as he also says in another passage, Thou art a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek you are a high priest. Jesus is the high priest. Jesus did have the privilege and the responsibility to touch the unclean. It was Jesus' nature, it was his duty, but it was also the fact that he was the man. He was the high priest. And his touch, his touch was like no other touch. Corruption under his touch becomes purity. Defilement became vitality. Separation became fellowship. And in Leviticus 5, what was the penalty? What was the thing that was prescribed for a man who touched one who was unclean? He must offer a guilt offering. And it wasn't just an offering where he said, you know, I'm confessing my sins. The way the Old Testament reads, it was an expiation, which is a big word to say an atonement or paying the penalty. He must pay a penalty for the fact that he violated this law. And who paid that ultimate penalty? Who was the atonement? Who was our expiation? For touching us who were unclean, he was our high priest. Our high priest. In Hebrews chapter 2, we read these words, and I'm going to read them as they would be literally from the New Testament Greek. It says, For assuredly he does not take hold of angels, but he takes hold of the seed of Abraham. He takes hold of those who are his, he doesn't take hold of angels. He takes hold of those who are the seed of Abraham, those who are descended of Abraham, those who are of faith, those who are who believe in him, who walk with him, who have called him their Lord and their Savior. He takes hold of them. There is the touch of our high priest. And the preacher goes on to say, Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Here is Jesus living out Leviticus five, paying the penalty not for his sin, because he knew no sin, but God made him sin for us. He paid that penalty in his body on the cross that we might be healed, that we might walk in newness of life, that we might come from death to life. This is our high priest. And so Jesus surprises the leper, I'm sure, by reaching out and touching him. Uh, he may have been expecting just say the word and I will be healed, and Jesus did, I will be cleansed. But Jesus cemented that, Jesus gave proof of that, Jesus reached out and touched him. And he was not modified by that uncleanness. He did the modifying. And this is the pattern of his sacrifice that we ought to follow. When we read this passage in Mark, and I don't know what to make of the man, the gospel writer Mark does not reveal to us whether the man obeyed Jesus or not. He gives him, and the New American Standard uses this language, and he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. He ordered him and cast him out, is what the Greek words mean. He cast the man out and said, go to the priest. And I believe that the article stands. It's not a priest, the priest. And where would that have been? He sent him away from Galilee. He sent him to Jerusalem to go before the priest, to show himself to the priest that, and offer, he says, what Moses commanded as a testimony for them. The only thing I can think of was, I don't know that I would not be like this man, jumping for joy, telling everybody that I saw, I'm healed, this man healed me, I have been an outcast, I have been living dead, and now I'm alive in Christ. But he disobeyed. And the scriptures tell us to obey is better than sacrifice. And I think it would be wrong of us to say that Jesus didn't think the law was important. I believe that he would say, along with the Apostle Paul, as he writes in Romans 7, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. I believe that, that Jesus would say that with him. But he sends the men away to the priest and to offer what was required by Moses. And again, it doesn't tell us if he went for that examination of restoration or not. There are those who believe that when we read in Mark chapter 14 of Simon the leper, remember the scene where Jesus is in Simon the leper's house and the woman with the precious vial of perfume comes and anoints Jesus' feet with the perfume and wipes it with her tears and her hair. They believe that that Simon is this leper here. I don't know that my scholarship is good enough to get there. But what we do know is that Jesus reached out and touched this man, but gave him an order. He said, go as a testimony to them. And I believe the testimony to them is is to the priests, to the hierarchy, to the law men. Not a testimony that you're healed, but a testimony that Christ did the healing. Because Jesus, I believe, took this literally that he did not want the priest to know the story until after he had performed the ritual of declaring him whole and restored. And then the man could tell his story. Because then the man could do as we do. When we witness, when we give testimony, it's not me, it's nothing I did, it's all of Christ. It's what he did. He touched me. He reached out to me. Jesus' conduct and his pattern for Christians, I think, is illustrated uh, quite aptly for this passage by uh, the life of a man by the name of Dr. Paul Brand. He was an MK. He was born to missionaries in India. And when he grew up, he decided that he wanted to go back to England and study engineering and come back to India and help his parents in their ministry with building and the infrastructure in India. But when he got to university, he was taken by some courses that he took in medicine. And he became a medical doctor. And I don't know that you could have a more Uh, intense internship than Brand did, but his internship was caring for people in London during the Blitz of 1940 when the Germans were bombing them day and night. He saw casualties, he saw death, he saw people suffering up close, and when he got back to India, He didn't go to the big hospitals. He didn't go to where he would be in a kind of a cushy position. He went to the hospitals where they were overcrowded and they had few doctors who wanted to work there because they were full of lepers. Overflowing with people in dire need, defilements, outcasts of the society. And Dr. Brand is given credit for finding out that leprosy does not cause the flesh to rot and fall off. He understood that it was the nerve endings that were affected by the leprosy. That much of the deformity, the curved hands, the the feet that were losing toes and the hands losing fingers and the deformity of the face was due to the fact that the leprosy attacked that external nervous system. And he found that it wasn't that they wanted to be deformed or that the flesh was rotting, but that they could not feel the pain so that when they put their hands in the coals of the fire and didn't draw them back, they couldn't feel that pain. When he saw them walking on stumps of feet with the pus and the blood, they walked without pain because they could not feel the pain. But how did he discover these things? How did he know that they actually had some ability? The muscles and the flesh was not rotting off. It's because he touched them. He reached out to them and touched them when others would not. He would reach out to shake a leper's hand. And he could feel, even in the clawed hand, he could feel that there was something in the muscles that said, these people deserve me to spend time to figure out how they can use those muscles and restore them. And the stigma of the face When the nose was sunken in and the eyeballs were closing and the lids were growing into the eyes, he worked on the tendons of the hand. He worked on the plastic surgery so that they might be restored to society. They could actually move their extremities and hold a job and do things, touch their children and be with them. And Dr. Brand wrote, I cannot think of a greater gift that I could give my leprosy patients than pain. They could feel pain. In fact, he wrote a book that was originally entitled Pain, The Gift That Nobody Wants. They didn't understand that they couldn't feel the pain and they didn't understand why they were getting worse and worse and worse instead of better because they couldn't feel pain. And we understand, I think from that, that this is why when we proclaim the gospel, yes, we do proclaim Jesus Christ, his love and his pity and his compassion for people, but we do not neglect to teach that with sin, with evil, with wickedness, that they don't understand their pain. They do not understand that there is sin and wickedness and evil toward a holy God. And we must not neglect to, to preach that there is sin in the world, that we need a Savior, that we need to come to Him and ask for forgiveness. The world needs to understand their pain. And as witnesses, as preachers, We can help. It is a gift they do not want, but I believe it is part of the gospel to teach them why there is defilement. And like Jesus, Dr. Brand's work was not done where people lived. These people were outside the camp. They were outcasts. He didn't do his work in a sparkling laboratory. He didn't do it in a state-of-the-art hospital, but he did it in mud huts. He did it in hot and dusty conditions. He did it among the ostracized, the outcasts of society. We must be willing to take those by the hand and touch those whom we would desire to teach and to help. And I hesitate on some of this because I know that some of you are involved in ministries like that, where you have forgotten yourself in order to reach out and touch other people, to take them by the hand. You know that a willingness to reach out and just simply hold someone, to give them a comfort of a hand on a shoulder or a hug is better than a lecture. It's better than a censure. It's better to reach out and to touch. And I think that much of what we see in Christian nations is the failure of the Christians to reach out, to touch. And I believe that we can, as one commentator say, we can seem to have a holier-than-thou attitude toward those who we see in defilement and need. But we must remember that we were there too. If God through Christ and by us Holy Spirit had not reached out and touched us, touched our heart, changed our heart, changed us to the depth of our soul, we would not stand and declare His righteousness before others. We must take to heart that it is not of us. It is of the Lord. And so I will close with this from the... Writings of Isaiah in chapter 43. Surely our sicknesses he himself bore, and our pains he himself carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. And all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do, we do rejoice in these things. We thank You for these things. The awesomeness of Jesus Christ, who moved with compassion, reached out, and touched Father, we thank You and we ask that You would make us willing to be servants like Jesus, to reach out and to touch as part of our testimony and witness that You have touched our hearts and You can do the same to others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please rise for the benediction This continues on in... Hebrews chapter 2. Since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. And again, this good word for assuredly he does not take hold of angels but he takes hold of the seed of Abraham. Amen.